Welcome to the second podcast in this series, Parliament Explained. I'm Mira Sayal, and in this series, I'm exploring exactly what happens in Parliament. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. This time, we'll hear about what happens in Parliament on a day-to-day basis. We'll talk about the sorts of decisions that have to be made here and how that affects us all. Last time I mentioned some of the basic differences between the House of Commons and the House of Lords. First off, here's what you had to say about the House of Commons. Commons is where all the laws are made, passed and reflected on, and that's where the power in this country really resides. I think that they make up lots of rules. House of Commons is our elected representatives. They debate issues that are raised. They represent us. They pass legislation, they make laws. Laws are decided, people argue, make a lot of noise. They drink a lot of coffee, possibly alcohol, (laughs) I don't know. They debate make decisions on our lives? Uh, Debates usually, I think, um, on current issues, issues with other countries or anything which they feel needs fixing or talking about. Debate. I know that they argue a lot. I know that they uh, have a lot to do with making of laws. They're all sat around debating, trying to change the laws or getting things over the line. It's policy from a government which goes to the MPs to be debated. MPs actually put forward their own uh, constituents' problems to Parliament. We know that the public elects members of Parliament, MPs, to represent our interests and concerns in the House of Commons. For these elections, the UK is divided up into 650 local areas, called constituencies, with each constituency electing one MP. So there are 650 MPs in the House of Commons. MPs split their time between working in Parliament itself, working in the local constituency that elected them, and working for their political party. When the House of Commons is sitting, MPs generally spend their time working at Westminster. Here they can raise issues affecting their constituents, join in with debates and take part in important votes. Uh, Mr Speaker, the government takes the welfare of unaccompanied asylum-seeking children extremely seriously. That's why we've pledged over £2.3 billion in aid to the Syria conflict, our largest ever humanitarian response to a single crisis. Those who are opposition spokespeople on the front benches will take the lead in questioning and challenging government ministers on national issues. Given the response of his boss to my earlier questions, or perhaps more honestly, the lack of response, um, can I ask him to address urgently the issue of UK residents who are foreign nationals and not passport holders, but residents? Backbenchers, that is, those MPs who aren't government ministers or opposition spokespeople, can take advantage of opportunities to raise local cases directly with the relevant minister and press them for action. Away from the chamber, it's also backbenchers from across the parties that serve on Commons Investigative Select Committees, which play an important role in scrutinising the government's work. We'll find out more about these committees later in the series. When they're back in their constituency... MPs often hold a surgery where local people can come along to discuss any matters that concern them. They also attend functions, visit schools and businesses and generally try to meet as many people as possible. This gives MPs a better insight into the issues they discuss when they return to the Commons. 
Some MPs will have been chosen as government ministers, some may be opposition frontbenchers, others may have been elected as a deputy speaker or as a chair of a select committee. Despite taking on the extra responsibilities that come with any of these roles, MPs don't stop working for their constituents. Whatever their role in the government or the House of Commons, they'll normally hold regular local surgeries to help their constituents. What happens in the Commons Chamber today has evolved from a long history of customs and traditions. To learn more, let's go inside the chamber itself. John Tamlin is a doorkeeper in the House of Commons. Our primary purpose is the security and the smooth running of the chamber of the House and also its committees. So, John, we've all seen snippets of debates in the Commons chamber in the news. Tell us more. The chamber is where the government makes very important announcements, decisions. It is, it is a very historic place. It was conceived as a debating chamber. The historic layout of the chamber is that members face each other. I mean, from time to time, members disagree. The chamber can get very crowded, which accounts for why the noise level can be raised somewhat sometimes. Order! Order! The chamber is rectangular in shape. At its head is the Speaker's chair, where the Speaker or one of his deputies sits to preside over the debates. The government ministers traditionally sit on the right of the Speaker's chair, and what we call the front bench is reserved for government ministers. To the left of the Speaker's chair, we have the opposition benches. So you have the Labour Party as the official opposition, and the SNP and other parties as well. Now, as we learned earlier, there are 650 MPs, but watching it on TV, it doesn't look like there's room for everyone. So is it a free-for-all for seats? I mean, at times, um, the chamber, say, for obviously Prime Minister's questions or a big set-piece occasion like the budget, uh, the chamber uh, gets very packed. Sometimes the chamber can be very lightly attended. You might just have 15 or 20 members there. I mean, obviously, if you're a minister, you sit at what is called the Treasury bench and uh, you don't have to reserve a seat. If, however, you are a backbencher, you may reserve a seat by using what is called a prayer card. It's just a little green card and you put it on your seat before the start of proceedings. And if you turn up for prayers by convention, that is your seat for the remainder of the day. Uh, you have what we call the table of the house in the middle with two dispatch boxes. There's one on the government side and one on the opposition side. On the government side, any minister speaks from the dispatch box. And on the opposition side is where the official opposition spokespeople speak from, say in a debate or, or during question time. The Speaker or one of the Speaker's deputies preside over the debates. I mean, the, the Speaker is very much in charge of proceedings. The Speaker keeps order, chooses who speaks, obviously very important. Sometimes if occasions get rowdy, the Speaker is required to actively intervene to keep order. And there are other important spaces in and around the chamber that we don't see on the news. Either side of the chamber, we have what we call the division lobbies. They run parallel to the chamber. I think the eyes have it. 
The eyes have it. Very well. The honourable gentleman is nothing if not a persistent woodpecker. Division. The eye lobby is on the right of the speaker, on the government side of the chamber. When we have a vote, I mean, technically we call it a division, it is when the House divides. And if you're a member of Parliament, you go either into the I lobby or the no lobby. It's voting with your feet. We'll learn more about divisions in our next episode. Directly above the Speaker's chair, we have the press gallery and we also have where the Hansard reporters sit. The Hansard reporters record everything that is said in the chamber. Uh, They do this in committees as well. At the other end of the chamber, from the Speaker's chair, you have the main public gallery. When the Commons is sitting, this is always open. We have a lot of people who like to come for Prime Minister's questions. MPs like to be able to obtain tickets for for constituents to be able to see Prime Minister's questions. But in fact, whenever the Commons is sitting, you can come in and sit there for as long or as little as you like. We have always had a public gallery, and it's very important to us and to members of Parliament that the proceedings are open and transparent, and um, it's free. Uh, any, anybody can come and see them. Now, let's hear a bit more about what typically happens in the Commons Chamber from Lynn Hobson and Gary Hart, Regional Outreach Officers for the Houses of Parliament. The day starts with the Speaker's procession through the Commons. When he's in, the doors are closed and that's the only time that MPs are in there by themselves for prayers. After that, the doors are opened, journalists come in, Hansard reporters and the public gallery starts to fill up. That's all followed by ministerial question time. Ministerial question time happens most days of the week. Ministers will come in to answer questions put to them by MPs. And it works on a rotor system, really. So on a Monday, for example, it could be the health department. Tuesday could be education. Wednesday could be the Northern Ireland's office. And the ministers from those departments will come in to answer questions every Monday to Thursday, whilst Parliament is in session. Order, order. Questions to the Secretary of State for exiting the European Union. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My focus now is to make sure that the people in my constituency are not worst off post-Brexit. And given that we benefited from EU funding to the tune of in the region of £5 million per year whilst we were in the EU. I seek a guarantee from the Minister today that the Government has a plan to ensure that those resources come to my constituency post-Brexit. MPs submit questions in advance so the Minister can prepare an answer. But then each MP can ask a follow-up question on the same topic, one the Minister hasn't been given notice of. At the end of questions, MPs can often ask a few spontaneous topical questions, which can be on any subject within the Minister's responsibility. We then move on to ministerial statements and urgent questions. Ministerial statements take place if something important has happened. For example, the Prime Minister might need to report back to the House from a big international conference. If a Minister doesn't offer to make a statement on an important event, MPs can ask the Speaker to require them to come in to respond to an urgent question. Then we get into the main business of the day, which could be perhaps a debate on proposed legislation that's been introduced. 
On another day, it might be what's called an opposition day, where one of the opposition parties gets to choose the subject to be debated in the chamber. There are also regular days allocated for debates chosen by backbenchers. They're looked after by the backbench business committee. So a great variety of topics are debated in a typical week. At the end of the debate, there will often be a division, a vote to decide for or against the proposal being discussed. Division. Next, an MP might present a petition on behalf of his or her constituents. Now, any member of the public can ask their MP to do this. Often it's a local issue about which many people feel strongly. I beg to move this House to now adjourn. The question is that this House to now adjourn. Mr Christopher Tope. Madam Deputy Speaker, it's a pleasure to be able to uh, introduce uh, this uh, short end-of-day adjournment debate on proposals to abolish Christchurch and East Dorset councils. At the end of the day, we have the adjournment debate. This is a half-hour debate which takes place each day, and this is where MPs will raise an issue directly with the Minister. This debate can be on any topic, and quite often it's a case which has been brought to an MP by a constituent. The department has to listen to and respond to all the points, and this is a really good way to highlight a problem, as the Minister and his or her officials have to look into this issue, often in great detail, in order to be prepared so it's clearly a busy place with a lot more going on than you might realise. We went through that quite quickly, so here's a summary of a typical day in the House of Commons chamber. First are prayers, when MPs can reserve their seat for the day. Then the doors open and in come the journalists and the public. Business starts with question time for ministers from government departments, with a different department appearing each day. Ministers have to be on their toes for those spontaneous topical questions. Then it's time for any ministerial statements or urgent questions on significant events. The main business of the day might be a debate on government bill or on a subject chosen by the opposition frontbench or by backbenchers. The day's business ends with an adjournment debate where an MP will raise a particular issue to which the government must send a minister to listen and respond. We're going to spend the rest of this episode talking about the other half of this bicameral or two-chamber system, and that's the House of Lords. First, let's hear what people think of when they think of the House of Lords. Really old posh men, not sure what they do. I can understand why people are dubious about it, given that it's not elected by the people. I used to think of it being a sort of privilege, very privilege, um, when it was you know, hereditary peers mostly and, and whatever. They can overrule certain things in Parliament, so it, it kind of takes some of the power away from what we're trying to say. Now, is the House of Lords the ones that back up? Yeah, they, they back up the House of Commons, don't they? I think it's a hereditary institution that costs us an absolute fortune. Wealthy, posh, I'm from the north of England, I come from a working-class background, I don't necessarily feel that I'm connected to it in any way. It is important that we have a body there within our government that is working for the people and putting their voice forward. The unelected people costing the country, why should they dictate the laws? They can advise the government on what to do. It's where laws are made, it's kind of the second step. Sort of like the House of Commons, but the seats are a different colour and the people are older and mainly men, and they're not elected. To tell us more about the House of Lords, I spoke again to Lynn Hobson and Gary Hart, regional outreach officers for the Houses of Parliament. The House of Lords is the second chamber of Parliament. 
It complements the work of the commons, and together they scrutinise and challenge the work of the government. They also share in making and shaping legislation. In fact, the House of Lords spends most of its time debating legislation, almost two-thirds. Members in the House of Lords come from all walks of life. Different social, political, professional backgrounds. We have scientists, people from the arts, people from sport. And their knowledge and independent experience from outside the House is often crucial when it comes to shaping policy and content of debate. Contrary to what we heard just now, the majority of members in the House of Lords, approximately 84%, are appointed for life by the Queen on the advice of the Prime Minister. The other main route into the Lords is to be recommended by an independent body called the House of Lords Appointments Commission. And these appointments tend to be for experts in their field, generally of a non-political nature. While there are members of the House of Lords that have a political background, Others have worked as doctors, soldiers, technology experts, business people, nurses, scientists, social workers, many, many different varieties of professions. Lots of people have been involved in charitable work, voluntary or civil society organisations. It's important for members of the House of Lords to contribute their professional experience and first-hand expertise into debates, committee work and bills. The House of Lords Act in 1999 removed the right of hereditary peers to sit and vote in the House of Lords, so members can't simply inherit a seat anymore. During the passage of the legislation, however, an amendment was accepted, enabling 90 hereditary peers to remain until further reform is agreed. So nowadays, only around 10% of members are hereditary. The House of Lords is characterised by its independent thinking and its commitment to considering public policy in depth. They're independent because no party holds a majority in the House of Lords. We have a significant number of cross-bench peers, about 22%, who are non-party political, and they sit in benches which go across the floor, hence the name cross-benches. Members who belong to a party aren't subject to the same discipline as in the House of Commons, and there's no obligation to vote along party lines. The party whip system is nowhere near as heavy in the Lords. Let's now go into the House of Lords chamber and find out a bit more about this fascinating place with the help of James McNaught, a doorkeeper in the House of Lords. In the House of Lords chamber, members of the House meet to discuss topical issues, to scrutinise and alter laws as they are being made and to hold the government and government departments to account. They do this by questioning the government and questioning each other and debating on issues that there is guaranteed to be a core of experts in the House on any subject. The House of Lords Chamber is a big oblong room. At the head of the room, dominating the room, is the royal throne. It's very ornate. But in spite of that, it's a working in environment. The throne is uh, used once a year, really, when the monarch visits Parliament uh, to say what the government is going to do in the coming year. In front of the throne is the woolsack, where the Lord Speaker sits. He's the chairman of, of the House, and he, he, uh, he's the figurehead. The members of the House sit on, on benches that are red leather down either side. The government always sits to the Lord Speaker's right. One of the benches on the right-hand side, just near to the Lord Speaker, is the only bench that has arms on the end of the bench, and that's where the, the bishops sit. That's a special bench for the bishops. In the middle of the chamber is the table where the clerks sit. 
The clerks are lawyers and they are there to provide guidance in how laws should be phrased and how laws actually work. So they are the, the real legal experts. And like in the Commons Chamber, there's a dispatch box in the Lords Chamber too, isn't there? Yes, there is. There is, there is a dispatch box on the table in front of the front bench on each side. So the uh, government ministers who sit on the front bench in the Lords and they, they represent government departments, they speak from the dispatch box and similarly their shadows on the opposition side speak from the dispatch box on the other side of the table. Opposing the government are a mirror image set of benches and the Labour Party sit there. Also the Liberal Democrats sit on that side but we also have some uh, UKIP peers. We have one Green peer and then we have some peers from Welsh and Irish parties. But uh, the thing that makes the Lords unusual compared to the Commons is that in the Lords we have crossbenches who sit at the back of the room facing the Lord Speaker in the middle between the two opposing sides. They are quite big, they're 20-25% of the, the membership of the House of Lords is, uh, is crossbenchers. They are generally appointed because they are the world expert on something or the national expert on something. They're very uh, experienced in medicine or law or in the armed forces or the police, nurses or also charity workers, people from the voluntary sector. So they bring a huge wealth of experience into the chamber that wouldn't come from career politicians. The crossbenchers are very important because they're they're independently minded, they, they're not automatically going to vote on along party lines. So in order to win an argument, you have to win over the crossbench element. So that makes the debate in the House of Lords much more consensus building. It's, it's not we're right and you're wrong, it's how can we all agree, where are the points of agreement, let's build on these. So it's a much gentler form of argument. It's actually away from the chambers in the committee rooms that a lot of the most important work of the House of Lords is done. We'll learn more about the work of committees in a later episode. But what are the other important parts of the chamber we should know about? When the Lords vote, they go into one of two division lobbies, which are either side of the chamber, and you either vote that you agree or disagree with whatever has been debated, and the words that are used in the Lords for agree and disagree are content and not content. The question is that this bill be now read a first time, as many of that opinion will say content. The contrary, not content, the contents happen. The most important part, really, is, is that it's, there's, there is a public gallery and anyone can come and watch at any time while the House is sitting. It's your right as a voter and as a taxpayer to come and have a look and, and see the House in action. They are debating and altering laws that affect everyone, so it, everyone should have the opportunity to come and see this happening. The chamber is, uh, is televised, there are television cameras there, and everything is, is always recorded. We also have some people in the chamber from Hansard. They record every word that's said in the chamber and it's available online within about two hours of it being said and it's available the following day as a, as a printed record. But uh, Hansard is, uh, is, is now available on a website. It doesn't cost anything to go and have a look and you can search for what people have said by subject or by date or by their name and it's... it's fascinating to, to actually read and see what people have said.
Lord Fowler is the current Lord Speaker and the first man to hold the role. The question is that this motion be agreed to, as many of that opinion will say content, the contrary not content, the contents have it. I'm very grateful. <laughs> the Lord Speaker plays a key role in the administration of the House of Lords, including overseeing proceedings in the Lords Chamber. Let's bring back Gary Hart and Lynn Hobson, regional outreach officers, to talk us through a typical day for the Lord Speaker and give us some insight into the work he does. In any one morning, the Lord Speaker might have meetings with party leaders and whips in the Lords. He might have individual members who come in to talk to him, visiting school children, various interest groups and more. As the ceremonial head of the Upper House, he'll also receive foreign ambassadors, speakers of other parliaments and visiting heads of state. After their morning meetings, the Lord Speaker chairs proceedings in the chamber where they sit on the wool sack. The wool sack is a large square cushion of wool covered in red cloth and it's stuffed with wool brought from around the Commonwealth. Oral questions are the most lively part of the day. The Lord Speaker is always present. The Lord Speaker's role isn't to keep order as Mr Speaker does in the Commons. Instead, at oral questions, the members of the Lords themselves make sure each party has the opportunity to question the Minister in turn. This is an example of the more consultative and consensual approach taken in the Lords. Later in the day, a foreign ambassador might come and see them, or a foreign speaker. In the evening, there may be two or three receptions to attend. The Lord Speaker also has a ceremonial role. For example, when the Burmese political leader, the National League for Democracy, Aung San Suu Kyi, came to address the parliamentarians, the Lord Speaker was able to give her a vote of thanks and to make a speech of welcome. It's a very, very, very full day for the Lord Speaker. He very rarely leaves the House of Lords before, let's say, nine, half nine in the evening. So, the majority of the Lord Speaker's day is spent having conversations with people of one sort or another. Talking to the public at large, or groups of school children in particular, is really valuable because it means that they are in touch with the wider community. This way, the Lord Speaker learns how current legislation is actually affecting people's lives and work, and to some extent that can be fed back, because during their day, the Lord Speaker tends to meet all the political leaders in the House of Lords. So they're constantly exchanging views with them and hearing what they have to say. What can really strike you about the House of Lords is the extraordinary expertise of its individual members. The House of Lords is mostly concerned with issues rather than party political matters, and this is shown where members from all the political parties work together and get that consensus to achieve a particular outcome. So they're driven by the content of bills rather than having to vote according to a party political agenda. Because of this expertise and skills and knowledge, the lack of a government majority and the independence of members, the Lords can come together to focus on issues rather than party politics and keep the interests of the public and wider community at heart. So it seems a lot of what people think they know about the House of Lords isn't actually true. Let's hear from some of the same people who gave their views earlier. I guess if they're experts in particular fields, then if they're all coming together on a subject, you'd get like the best possible advice. It's been an institution that's developed over a long period of time, so I think it has value. One day they could do something which I agree with, and then I probably wouldn't complain then. They're given a lordship for their merits, what they've done. I, mean, I think it's a good idea that there is a second level, and I think the fact that they're, they're not necessarily assigned to a political party would help. Very learned people, very 
clever people who've been put there because they've got lots of experience. I think there is definite value in having people who aren't voted in necessarily because you're able to get real experts in their field into the House of Lords. They are the kind of the voice of the people. It isn't just the MPs making the decisions, there's other people helping them out and pushing back on these things, which is great. It's important to have people who haven't got a political agenda to push and aren't trying to further their own career. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's a good thing. We've covered a lot of detail today, but before we go, let's sum up why the House of Lords is important. The large chamber is there to benefit the wider community. It's not elected, so there's no reason for members to have a political agenda. If the Lords Chamber did become part or wholly elected, it might make it harder for them to put party politics aside. Having a second chamber means closer scrutiny of the government. It also means the government is accountable for its decisions. If the Lords Chamber was electable, maybe that mix would be different. I don't see why they have a job for life. We can vote MPs out if they're not doing a good job. I think there's a wide mix of expertise on political views in the Lords Chamber. Plenty of food for thought there. And that's it for this episode of Parliament Explained. I hope you've enjoyed the programme. If you want to find out more about Parliament and the government, why not have a look at the information online at www.parliament.uk. You can follow proceedings in the House of Commons and the House of Lords live on www.parliamentlive.tv, on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash UK House of Commons and www.facebook.com forward slash UK House of Lords. You can also follow on Twitter at House of Commons and at UK House of Lords. And if you have a specific question about the work, history or membership of Parliament, you can pick up the phone. The House of Commons Inquiry Service can be reached for free on 0800 112 4272. The House of Lords Inquiry Service is on 0800-223-0855, also free. Callers with a text phone can talk through text relay by calling 18001, followed by either of those full numbers. If you'd like to hear Parliament in Action, you can hear the Prime Minister's Question Time podcast by searching for UK Parliament on SoundCloud. Next time, I'll be demystifying the debates and question sessions that take place in Parliament, which ensure that the government answer for their decisions and are seen to be held to account. To make sure you never miss an episode, you can subscribe to the programme on your podcast app so that it downloads automatically every Monday. I'm Mira Sayal, and I'll catch you next time.